Thank you, Lord, for giving us life. But oftentimes we forget the one who has given us life. We forget the one who has given us the breath, the very next breath that we take. We forget the one, O Lord. And Lord, even as you said unto Israel, when you go into the promised land, and yes, you have not built homes, and yes, you have not planted the gardens, yes, you have not did this, and you have not did that, but it's all been provided for you. Forget not me. And oftentimes, Lord, you are the forgotten one in our lives. You're the last one. You're the last one sometimes that we call upon because, Lord, we tried everything else. You're the last one that we think of. For we've called this person and that person for help. And we've asked this person to assist us. And you're the last one. You're the last one sometimes that we give praise to. You're the last one that we serve. We'll meet everybody else's needs. But oftentimes, Lord, we forget that the only thing that you asked of us is to praise you and to worship you and to obey you. And you're the last one. Lord, help us to do what your word has commanded us to do, to make you first in our life, that you be preeminent in our life, that you come before mother, father, brother, sister, You come before our children. You become first in everything in our lives. And Lord, when you become first, you'll set in order all these other things. You'll set everything else. You'll set the husband. You'll set the wife. You'll set the children. You'll set the job. You'll set everything else in its proper order. Because Lord, you're first. Let us not be trying to set our order, oh God, that we need to do this and we need to do that and we need to run over here and we need to take care of this. Let us first, oh God, acknowledge you. And if we acknowledge you, you will direct our path. If we acknowledge you, you will set everything in this proper order. If we first, oh God, just pause and acknowledge you. You will establish our going and our coming. Lord, help us, O God, to be a people who don't think of you just on Sunday morning, but you are very breath. You have every thought. You're there. Ministering. And directing. Nurturing. Encouraging. Building us up. Helping us in everything we do. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Isn't it good just to be here? And just think, the weather didn't stop you. You know, and oftentimes... We come to a place in life and, boy, uh, we think, boy, we shouldn't do this or we shouldn't do that. Boy, it's so good to be able to just be in God's house and allow God to just minister to us. And I want to thank Vic. Vic stepped out of his comfort zone and he taught Sunday school. Uh, And like he says, that's not him. Here at Aquin Lions Fellowship, a lot of us are going to have to step out of our comfort zone. If we're going to take the next step now, we're going to have to step out of our comfort zone. You know what I like about our church today more than any time that I've been here? For the last five years, we have not had an argument, we have not had a fight, we have not had anything. I praise God for that. I praise God for that. And that's not saying we haven't talked about some things that we disagree on. We didn't have to fight about it. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. And I'm sensing and feeling that we all want to grow in Christ. 
and, and grow together and learn together. And in doing that, God is going to call us out of our comfort zones of where we're used to being. And he's going to cause you to do some ministries that you never thought you would be involved in. And let me share this with you. Being used of God is never based on your ability. As Vic was sharing with me how nervous he was, I said, never lose that. When you become so confident that you can stand before God's people without him, the Lord calls that a haughty pride. Whenever you teach, I don't care if it's a Bible study in the prison, I don't care wherever, it's just two or three people, I don't care if it's just in your home with your kids, God wants you to be dependent upon him for every word you're going to say. When you lose that fear and you lose that thing that I can handle this without God, everybody in trouble. Not only you, but those who are going to hear you are in trouble. Amen? All right. Well, we're going to get to moving. Uh, cutting away the flesh. Cutting away the flesh. Now, we talked about cutting the world away. Salvation has that purpose where God is going to work in our lives. And God has to cut away. And he cut away first that desire of the world. And oftentimes, we miss that. Because we're so caught up with all the stuff of the world. And sometimes we think, this is where we're going to live all of our lives. This is where we're going to be at. God has to cut away at the flesh, the things of the world. Because we get attached to the things of this world. We get attached to them because we see them. We get attached to them because we taste them. We get attached to them because we smell them. We get attached to them because we can handle them. We get attached to the things of this world because they are the things that we see, not understanding the things that we see are only temporal. They're not permanent. They're not permanent. The things that we see with our eyes, the things that we handle with our hands, the things that we smell today and so forth, the things that we taste, all those things are temporal things. And they're not going to last. They're not going to last. God made this body. And in making this body, he made it from material. How many of you understand that science has shown that your body is made up of 16 different things of the dirt? You have iron, you have sodium, you have calcium, magnesium. You can just go on. There's 16 different things that have been recognized in the body that come directly also from the dirt. That really helps us to understand what Scripture says. From dirt you come, from dirt you will what? Return. And remember what we say, the last thing we say when you go in the grave? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We're going right back to where we were. How many of you ever look in the summertime or even in the wintertime sometimes when that sunlight's coming in? You have more something in your home than anything else. Pardon? Dust. We don't want it. We think we wiped it away and we come back a day or so later, what? God is cutting away the things of this world that we have got an attachment to. And he has to cut away from it. He has to remove it. He's the one that always has to do this work. 
And it's amazing how he does the work. Because God is a very gentle surgeon. He's a very gentle surgeon. What God takes away from us, he doesn't take it away from us to purposely harm us or to hurt us. He takes it away from us because he knows it's not really good for us. And we have to learn how and discern the things of this world. Because everything in the world is not evil. But everything in the world can be made to be used in an evil manner. First John 2.16 For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. The King James says the lust of the flesh. And that's what we're going to be dealing with for the next week or two. The lust of the flesh. Or those things that attach itself to the flesh. So we're going to be looking at those things that really attach themselves to the flesh. And some of the words we're going to break down, especially in Galatians 5 and so forth. We're going to break them down and it explains about the flesh, the sinful things of the flesh. And he says, the lust of the flesh, or in the NIV it says, the craving of sinful hunger. Most of us understand what a craving is. It's a desire. I just got to have it. Even if I have to sneak. And oftentimes when we sin, we what? We sneak. We sneak. Now, Understand this. Satan doesn't create sin. Satan can't create anything. But what Satan does, he uses what's already here. Now, let me illustrate it in this fashion. God gave us all the gift of communication. That we can speak to one another. That we can communicate with each other. That is a gift that God just gave to everybody. Gave a language that they can speak. Satan comes in and he distorts it by speaking, but he speaks a lie. What God desires from all of us is that we speak the what? We speak the truth. But Satan distorts our ability to speak or, or to communicate. When we speak a lie. Because whenever we speak a lie, we're not speaking the truth. And he distorts it. And Satan takes earthly things that God has given and he distorts it. Let's use another one. Sex is not bad. Sex is a wonderful thing. Sex brings about procreation. Sex brings about children. None of us would be here unless two people engaged in what? Sex. So God is not against sex. God is all for sex. He created it. And he created it for our enjoyment of one another. But then he put boundaries on it. In the marriage bed. In the marriage bed. Not that it would be a free-for-all, because when you have a free-for-all, all kind of diseases go. It's amazing how two people's bodies will adapt to each other to fight off certain diseases and so forth. But when you go from one person to another person to another, your body doesn't have an opportunity to adjust. And then you wonder why we wind up with syphilis or gonorrhea or with this or with that. Because God never meant for it to be. And he says, boy, the lust of the flesh, the craving of sinful man. Now, do you want fleshly desires to be taken away? Do you really want them to be taken away? And that becomes an area of prayer. We all know our weaknesses, don't we? The thing is now, do we pray? Lord, 
You know I'm attractive to that woman. Take that away from me. Lord, you know I have a weakness for this. Lord, take it away from me. Change my mind about it. You begin to pray and ask God to intercede also. Now, when you begin to ask God to take things away and to intercede on things with you, then God becomes that ever-present helper and he helps you. Why? Because he knows the flesh is what? Weak. God knows the flesh is weak. And God knows you're going to struggle. Why? Because he gave you this body. He gave you this body. You ever hear this little statement? You are what you eat. There's a lot of truth to that. When we look at those young children in Ethiopia or different parts of Africa, and their bellies are way out, and you see the bones, they don't have enough to eat or the right things to eat. And they are then, at that point, what they are eating or not eating. The same is true in the spiritual realm. If you feed the outer man with the worldly things, the outer man will subdue the inner man. If you feed the outer man with worldly things, the outer man will subdue the inner man. But if you feed the inner man, then the inner man will subdue the outer man. The spiritual man on the inside will subdue the outer. And oftentimes when you find people in all their sin and all their messes and in areas that you hear people say, I can't never accomplish my goals, I can't never accomplish my dreams, I can't do this, I can't do that, is because they have fed so much the outer man and they have not fed the inner man. The inner man. I hope you'll catch that as we move forward. He goes on and he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? Now, in Psalms 73, I want you to really catch that. Whom have I in heaven but you? But you. Because it's a mindset now. That person's on earth. And his desire is God. Not all the things of heaven. Not the gold streets, not all the other stuff, not mama, not daddy, but you, Lord. What do I desire in heaven but you, but you, but you? Don't think God does know that you desire to see your mother, your father, if they were saved and they're in heaven, that you don't have that desire to see them. But he wants you to have that desire to see him among all else of anything else. And he says, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides who? You. Now, what has that person done? He's put away all these earthly things. And he says, Lord, you're what I really desire. You're what I really desire. But not the things of this earth. I want you to see the change of mentality in here. The change of thinking that had to take place. All I desire, Lord, is you here on earth now. Now, young people understand this. You don't have to become 50, 60, 70 years old, crippled, broke down, senile, and don't know what you want before you desire the Lord. That's just started at a very early, early age. That you desire God. That you desire the Lord. And he says, boy, I desire thee, Lord, nothing. And earth has nothing. Boy, that's, that's a powerful one right there. Earth has nothing. Earth has nothing that I desire when I compare it with you, Lord. There's not a woman walking. There's not a man walking that I desire more than you, Lord. 
There's not a card made, Lord. There's not a position that can be given that I desire more than you, Lord. That he becomes the desire. Now, if you put that with Scripture, the Lord says, when you first seek me and you desire me, I'll add all these other things to your life. Catch that picture. When you make God first and you desire him first, and I, I love that verse in Samuel 2, right? that when you honor God, he'll honor you. When you will please him, he's going to please you. And he says, boy, I desire you. And I believe a lot of us never get to our desires here on earth because we never made him our first desire. Our first desire. That he then would help us and assist us in those goals that we desire to meet. And he goes on, he says, my flesh, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Who's my portion? God is. Not, not, not something else. But God's my portion. God is all I have need of. God is it. And I desire him. He's my portion. Those who are far from you will perish. Remember what he says? Matthew, oh, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this and didn't I do that? And the Lord said, your heart is where? Far from me. And he says, depart from me, for I know you not. And the Lord says, boy, those who are far from you will perish. Those who are far from you. Where are you with the Lord? Are you very close to the Lord? Or are you a long way away from the Lord? How close are you to the Lord? You have to measure that. You have to know that. And if you're some distance from the Lord, then you need to change that. Because there's more scripture saying the further you are, most likely you're not saved. The further you are, most likely you're not saved. My wife was sharing something this morning because I was sharing something with Roger when he was here. And he asked me, he said, is, is, is your niece divorced now? Is your niece separated from her husband? I said, no, because as far as I know, he's he setting up dental offices or offices in Texas and he has to travel a lot. But as far as I know, they're still together. And... Um, Elaine and Faith was telling me last night, no, she's no longer with him. And part of that has been for the last four or five years, he's been out of the home more than he's been in the home. And marriage can't exist just on a weekend. It don't exist just on a weekend. And, and the Lord... You're not going to exist in a relationship with God just on Sunday morning. It won't work. You need to measure your distance. How far away are you from the Lord? Because the Lord simply says, those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful. Now, now catch this. Put it together. But I think sometimes we don't put it together. He's going to cut away things that we can be close to him. He's going to remove things out of our life that we can be close to him. We have to make the decision now, how close do we want to be? That closeness comes about by our faithfulness. By our faithfulness. Whatever you are faithful to, you're close to. Whatever you are faithful to, you're close to. And you don't allow anything to come between you and that that you are faithful to. And he says, you destroy all who are what? Unfaithful. Understand, when you have a distance between you and the Lord, you're going to be unfaithful. You're going to be unfaithful. You're going to be unfaithful. Women are a little bit more faithful than men. But we know, if you take a man away from his wife, 
too long. A year is, is, is just about it. When you get into two, three, four, five years, there may be a problem. He's far away. Becomes unfaithful. The further you are from the Lord, the easier it is to be unfaithful. That's why you got to be close. Close. The flesh will always be trying to separate you. The Spirit's always trying to draw you close. Now, I want you to stay with me as we start into this area of material and immaterial. A change of desire comes. Go with me to Colossians chapter 3. Verses 5 and 7. Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> Look at the change now. Keep in mind what the psalmist says. I desire thee, O God. I desire thee, O God. He says in verse 3. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Underline your earthly nature, because that's what we're going to be talking He's talking about the flesh right there. Earthly nature is flesh. Earthly nature is flesh or body. Body and flesh is basically the same word in the Greek. Your earthly nature. Understanding now, as we go back and look at it, we're made of the earth. Understand this here. Satan can only tempt you with earthly things. With earthly things. Everything that Satan tempts you with will be earthly. Satan never tells you, I'm going to make you holy. Satan never tells you, I'm going to sanctify you and set you apart just for God. And he says, put off or put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Why? Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, if you say that you're saved, but you're in a sexual relationship that you know is not right, is that going to be listed in the area of adultery or fornication? And if it's listed in the area of adultery and fornication, go back and ask this here. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Will God's wrath be upon me because I'm in such a type of a relationship? Or I'm living in such a way? Or I'm behaving in such a way? Now, God says it in his own word. He is not a respecter of what? Of persons. Yes, you're saved. But when it comes to judgment, when it comes to God's punishment, can God make a distinguish, a distinguish, a distinction between his children who believe and those who do not believe? He cannot be an unjust God. He cannot be an unjust God. What rules he set for one has to be set for who? For all. Therefore, we understand when the scripture says judgment begins where? In the very house of God. Don't come over to my house trying to straighten out my house when your children are what? Yeah. Take care of your own house first. And that's what God says. I'm going to take care of my house. I'm going to clean up my house before I can deal with this house out here. And he, he says, put to death, therefore. Now, if you put that in line with what the psalmist says, whom have I in heaven but you? Why? Because I put to death all these other things. I put them to death. I put them to death. Now, the first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man from heaven. 
as well as the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. Simply saying, boy, this earthly person, this earthly man, is of the earth. Period. He's of the same material as Adam. He's of the earth. We're of the earth. That's one kind of man. Then he comes back and he says, And as the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Jesus Christ comes down from heaven. We become a new creation in Jesus. And we become those who are of heaven, not those that are of the earth. We are earthly, we are spiritual. We are earthly, we are spiritual. Stay with me as as we walk through this. And just as we have been born likeness of the earthly man, who is he referring to as the earthly man? Adam. Who is the earthly man? We're going to go back and see that. And we're all made of that earthly man. But he says, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. We're going to bear the likeness of the man from heaven. That when we are born again, we no longer carry the likeness of Adam, but now we carry the likeness of Christ. What has changed? Jesus, when he's speaking to Nicodemus, says, flesh is of flesh. Spirit is of Spirit. Now he moves from material to immaterial. This is material. This body. And the only thing Satan can deal with us with is material things. Material things. Material things. The Spirit deals with both. Because the Lord says, I know what you have need of. But he also deals with our spiritual, which is not material. Am I losing anybody? Kind of stay with me. Go to Genesis 2 7. Genesis 2 7. He says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He formed the man from the dust of the ground. Material. Material. We all come from the dust of the ground in a sense. Therefore, when you are cremated, what comes out? Ashes. Dust. Good. We throw you on the ground, kind of like take a little rake and rake, and we can't find you anymore. You blend right in. That's where you come from. Okay. This body, this body, okay. that house is the real you. The body is a house. But understand something. This body is also the seat from which all sin arise from, from the desires. And they're all material, just like the body. That's why the body is so attached to this material world, because it's material. And he says, when, at what point, now stay with me in that verse. He says, He formed the man from the dust of the ground. At that point, after he formed, the man was not alive. He just formed a body. That's all. He formed the body. A material thing. Then he says, he breathed. He breathed. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. 
King James says, a living soul. That God breathed into that body, the soul. So now we got body and soul. He breathed into the man. Because he, the man was not alive until God breathed into his nostrils. Go to Romans 8, 29. Keep this in mind. Go to Romans 8, 29. Oftentimes we wonder why we're so attached to worldly things. It's because everything of the world is a material thing. And we're attached to material. This body loves material things. Hey. 829, he says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. There's the immaterial. Because that's the spiritual work. For you to be like Jesus takes the work of the Holy Spirit to perform in your life. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the immaterial. So is not the Spirit ever trying to tempt you by worldly things. He doesn't do it. He talks about kingdom things, spiritual things, not earthly things. I want you to get the two in mind. If you can understand the two, you'll know when you're being drawn to material or immaterial. And you'll know if it's of material, Satan may have something involved or something to do with it. Let's illustrate it this way. You're in the store, men or women. Men get excited maybe about a car or that motorcycle. Our eyes saw it, and we want it. <laughs> women get excited about maybe a lamb. I don't understand that. That's the woman's thing. <laughs> they get excited about the lamb, or they get excited about this picture thing, or they get excited about this here. It's a material thing. But the body loves those material things. Now, here's where Scripture comes in. Where you know whether if it's of God and God is saying okay or if God is saying no. God says be anxious for what? Nothing. You can look at it. You can enjoy it. And you can say, Lord, I'm a steward of your finances. Is it okay for me to go ahead and get this? Either it be a yes or a no. But a lot of us haven't even got that far that we even ask God about how to spend his money. We think we earned it, so we go spend it. We already took care of him. We gave him his 10%. So he's out the picture now. No. Lord, do you want me to have this? And that's where prayer comes in. And now you engage with him. You know. And he'll say yes or he'll say no. If he say no, it's not that he doesn't want you to have that. There's something better coming. There's a better deal coming. There's something else God has that you're not seeing yet. And God's just waiting for you to see it. And you'll know it that this is what you are to have. You'll know it. You know. And that whole process comes in material, immaterial. The immaterial, the Lord says, be anxious for nothing. It's not that he says you can't have it. Oh, you can afford it. But that don't mean that you should go out and purchase it. Now, the flesh is material substance, while the spirit is immaterial substance. If we can get that in our mind. Material, immaterial substance. The flesh represents human Dedication to physical desires rather than obedience to God. The flesh, oh, this feels good. Oh, this tastes good. See, the other day, boy, Elaine wasn't going to get away with it. You know, she, she fixed her a bowl of ice cream. And I asked her, is that mine? No. 
Even put the chocolate soup on top of it. So I just waited for an hour or two. She ain't got in the bed. You do it too, huh, you Yeah. See? Wouldn't come down the hallway. I take the long way around. You know? Just, just in case she's peeping out the bedroom door down the hallway. So I go the long way around, you know, being careful to open the refrigerator, you know, get that ice cream out of there. Now, now here comes the willpower, you see. I didn't get that big bowl. I got that little small bowl. And I got me two scoops. And why? This flesh was just... Ooh, design that ice cream. And the other day, I could take a half a gallon of ice cream, just cut it in half and sit down and just enjoy my ice cream. But got two scoops, put a little bit of chocolate on there, shut everything back up, went back along the long way, not down the hallway, because if I stepped in the hallway, she'll see me right off the bat. Back out around the long way, back into the other room, enjoyed my little bit of ice cream. Now, God isn't saying you can't have it. It's the proportion sometimes that you want. It's how much of something that you want. And you get in the Proverbs, the Lord speaks about greed. Man is never satisfied. Not enough to have one wife, we want three wives. It's not enough to have one of this, so we got to have more of this. It's not enough to have this, we got to have a whole lot of it. And that whole process comes in. The flesh represents human dedication to the physical desires. Now understand, the flesh is not sinful, per se. Because when God made Adam... He also said at the very end, everything he made was what? And Adam was in the flesh. But it also comes to a point that God says, boy, he hates man because of the fleshly things of man. Because we attach ourselves so much to the things of this world. Now, because these fleshly bodies are from the ground. They are sustained by material from the ground. Everything we eat comes from where? From the ground. Our water comes from the ground. Everything that sustains these bodies comes from where? The ground. Everything that sustains your spiritual life comes from above. And we forget that. And we begin to try to sustain a strong spiritual life with fleshly things, and it won't work. And we think because we know God, or we think because we were once in the church, or we think because we read the Bible one time, that that's going to sustain us for a long period of time. No, it won't. You have to eat of the Word daily. You have to drink of the Word daily. You have to allow yourself to be nurtured by the word daily. To be at the top of your game. To have the energy that you need to live the spiritual life that God has called you to. You go without eating and find out how weak you become. You go without spiritually eating, you become spiritually weak. And you cannot even begin to fight the spiritual battles that you have to face every day. Because one is taken care of and provided for by the material, which is the body, the flesh. But the spiritual is nurtured and taken care of by the spiritual. And if you allow the spiritual to go lacking, then the outer man will control the inner man and keep him down. But if you feed the inner man, the spiritual man, that's why the Lord says the outer man is dying what? Daily. But the inner man 
is being renewed day by day. Why? Because you are feeding the inner man, not the outer man. And when you feed the inner man, the inner man will take control of the outer man. And you will see the difference. And this is what happens in real life. You see the difference outwardly. The body portrays what really is going on. The body is portrays by the things you do, whether or not if you're really feeding yourself spiritually. If you're not feeding yourself spiritually, you'll be out here in all the things of the world. Because that's the desire of the flesh. But when you are feeding yourself spiritually, you're bringing this body under control. And you'll demonstrate by not being out here in all the things of the world. Not desiring the things of the world. The body will portray and the body will show forth which one is really being fed. Is the material being fed or the immaterial being fed? The body will show forth which one is really being nurtured. The flesh or the spirit. The body reveals it. The body reveals it. When you see young people in all the things of the world, with the grinding and the wrong type of dancing, and got to be touchy-touchy, feely-feely, they're all caught up in the flesh, not in the things of the spirit. And you can tell. And it won't be long before a fall takes place. That's why the, the... Paul said, it's not good for a man to touch a woman. Why? Because the touching leads to what? Yeah. you got to bring that in, uh, under control. Hey. It's strange that most of the Asian world, the ones you see holding hands walking down the street, are men. And when you see men holding hands, what they're saying, they're best of friends. You don't find too many men and women walking down the street holding hands. But it's men. And we see two men walking down the street here holding hands. We think, hmm. But the whole process is the culture. And what we taught in the Western culture, men and women hold hands. And then at times what we're trying to do is separate our young kids from doing what our culture says is okay to do because we know where it's leading into. Because the fleshly bodies are from the ground, they are sustained by the material from the ground. That which God has made us from sustains these bodies. And these bodies will return to the ground as Genesis says. And the Lord says, he said unto Adam, in 319, you're going to return to the ground. You're going to return to the dirt. Now, follow with me. Because in Genesis 2-7, man became a living soul. So he has a soul. Man became a living being in the NIV. But Ecclesiastes says something else now. Go to Ecclesiastes 12-7 with me. Please ask the twelve seven, because see, man needs this spirit, and it is the spirit that bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It is the spirit that has to be ministered to by the Holy Spirit. So when we go into twelve seven, he simply says, "Can we get there?" And the dust returns to the ground it came from, the body. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. The spirit returns to God who gave it. Now, it doesn't say that the spirit goes where? To hell. It says the spirit goes back to God which gave it. Now, we got two parts of man. We got the body that was formed by the ground. God formed it from the ground. We have the spirit now that God says that he's given to us. But when we die, it goes back to God. 
Genesis also said, when God breathed into man, he became a living soul. So now we got body, soul, and spirit. The body houses the soul and the spirit. The body houses the soul and the spirit. Just like God provided for this body to be taken care of by all the material things of the world, by the food, the water, the fruit, the things that we eat, the animals and all, all that is from the ground because the whole issue, every animal feeds from where? From the ground. How that, how that steak tastes so good sometimes from just being grass or hay, I don't understand, but God allowed it to be. The whole process is that it's there. We maintain these outer bodies by the material things of this world, but in the same manner as God provided for the material part, the body, he has also provided for the spiritual if we will receive it. If we will receive it. And he says the spirit goes back to God from which gave it. Go to Matthew 10, 28. Matthew 10, 28. And, and this is the area that sometimes we're not giving much credence to. In 1028, he says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. Because the body is dying anyhow. From the moment you're born, you're dying. And he says, don't be fearful of those who can kill the body. In other words, what God is saying right here in this, man is limited in what he can do. The only thing man can really do to man is what? The worst thing we can do is take somebody else's life. That's all. Let's take it to the next step now. Because he comes from that part there that kills the body, but cannot kill what? Man can't touch the soul. Man can't touch the soul. Man can touch your body. He can put your body in pain. He can do things to your body. But understand this. Man can't do anything to the soul. So he limits man right there. Man is limited. And God holds man to that point. That he's limited in what he can do. He can only do what? Touch this outer. He can't really touch in here. He can't touch the soul. So he says to us, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can cast both soul and body where? In hell. But he also says now, where body and soul may wind up at. Hell. He didn't say spirit will wind up in hell, but soul. Because spirit goes back where? To God, who gave it. But the body and soul, understand, we're not going to go to it all right now. The moment we die, depending on whether we're born again or not born again, if it depends on where you're going. How many of you, boy, when you're really heading someplace in the Caribbeans at the right time of year, you don't carry a winter jacket? You carry what you basically have need that is appropriate. And sometimes, boy, you're glad to get out of here, but that you can get there and the sun is shining and you're out on the beach, you don't have your winter jacket on, you don't have your wool on. If the If the soul's going to hell, God prepares a body for hell where the fire dieth not and the fire cannot destroy that body. If you're going to hell, God gives you a body that will know the torments of hell. If you're going to heaven, God gives you a body Made for heaven. 
that will enjoy the things of heaven and not be afflicted by the things of hell. And he says, he prepares that body. He gives that body. Because the soul will be housed again into the body. But recognize this. Spirit and soul can be separated from body. And then God reunites it again. And in heaven, we won't need the spirit. Why? We'll be right there with him. Now, go to Romans 8 with me. Romans 8. Come down to verse uh, 15 with me. 15 and 16. The reason God gives us a spirit. The reason God gives us a spirit within these bodies. Body, soul, spirit. The reason he gives us a spirit. Verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit, and if you recognize it, it's a small s, that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit, a capital S, of sonship, and, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. You received the Holy Spirit that makes you a son. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you cry out to God, Daddy, Papa, Abba, Father. Now look at verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our what? One Spirit is speaking to what? To another Spirit. The Holy Spirit is speaking to our Spirit. And God has given us a spirit that we might communicate with him. And the Holy Spirit now, who searches the very heart of God and know the very mind and things of God, speaks to us through that spirit. He speaks to our spirit. Go to John 3. John chapter 3. And, and, and listen to what is going to be said. With Nicodemus here. In 5 and 6. Nicodemus' question is, Can a man enter into his, into his mother's womb again and be born again? Well, we all know the answer to that. No. So Nicodemus is wondering, well, how is man going to be born again? How is man going to be transformed? How is man going to be made different? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of spirit. Now, I want you to catch the order there. Water, then spirit. Some refer to water there as baptism. I don't think it's baptism. I think it is exactly what it is in the natural thing of a mother's water that breaks. That is, that is life. The first thing that has to take place before we're ever saved, God has to give us what? Life. It's good sometimes where the Holy Spirit just put things in order. Before we're ever born again, we have to be given life in order to recognize our need for Jesus Christ and then be born again. So it starts with life. So he says, water, which brings forth this life. Then he says, of the spirit. So he's talking about the material and then the immaterial. Then he says, born. Surely, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is first born of water, fleshly, 
and spirit. Now, he explains it a little further in verse 6. Flesh gives birth to what? Flesh. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Period. But then look what he says. But the spirit gives birth to what? Spirit. Spirit gives birth to spirit. If you're going to grow spiritually, it's not going to be by feeding the flesh. If you're going to grow spiritually, you have to cut loose a lot of the things of the world and of the flesh. Because what is fleshly is fleshly. And what is spirit is spiritual. And you have to discern it. You have to discern it. I don't know if that's me or... Okay. And he makes it maybe hit my sweater. Or, I don't know. Okay. Try to keep my head up. But the whole process is that one is of flesh, one is of spirit. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he said, If any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature. He is now spiritual, no longer just fleshly. He is now spiritual, no longer just fleshly. Now, go to Romans 8.2 with me. Back to Romans Romans 8, 2. I'll get ready to close out here. He says, For what the law was powerless to do. I'm sorry, in, in 8, 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life. One of the titles of the spirit. The spirit of life. Set me free from the law of sin and death. It is the spirit that sets you free from the material world. Because the material world always leads us to death. When you go back in the history and you begin to study the monasteries and and the monks, they really believed that if they were to separate themselves from the world and lock themselves up and only think of God and not look at anything in the world, and many of them, when they came out of the their monastery to go someplace, they were not allowed to turn to the left or to the right. Their eyes always had to just be straight ahead, straight ahead, because they were fearful of seeing the things of the world and being attracted then to the things of the world. And they walked in this straight line and they kept their head straight ahead because they didn't want to see the things of the world. And he says... Boy, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life sets me free. If the spirit doesn't set you free, you're going to struggle in the flesh all your life. It's the spirit that has to set you free. And we don't like to use this word, but it's used of men and women. Of your whorishness. You'll run from one person to another person to another person to another person. If the Spirit doesn't set you free of your drugs, of your alcohol, the Spirit doesn't set you free. If God doesn't remove it, because all those things are feeding the flesh, you become captivated by them. Hope I didn't bore you. I hope it makes some sense because I think one of the things with us in this world that we're dealing with today is that we don't understand this here. And we fall victim to it. This here, as long as it gets what it wants, it really doesn't matter if you use one credit card or you max out five of them, as long as I get what I want. As long as this flesh can be satisfied, 
And see, what you and I have to understand is this. The flesh is never satisfied. And as we get into a little bit more into this, we're going to understand why Paul said, beat this body into subjection. You have to really discipline this. You, you, you don't know how this cries out and screams out. Why would a person put themselves in so much debt that they're miserable? This. Until they learn to say no to this. And what we'll look at a little further also, the eye. The lust of the eye. For it is the lust of the eye that feeds the flesh. The other thing that feeds this flesh is the touch. How many watched that movie of Ray Charles? Remember when he was sitting at the bar? He couldn't see the beautiful woman. But boy, when he put his hand around the wrist, he knew that wasn't one of the ones he wanted. By the touch. By the feel. And we have to bring this body under control. We have to do it. We have to do it. I don't care what age you are. We have senior ladies marrying young men who are in their 30s, 20s. It used to be only a man thing, and now it's a woman thing too. And you say, well, what do they have in common? Just this. Oftentimes it's not this. It's just this. Bring the body under control. And allow the Spirit of God to feed you spiritually. And see where God takes you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we pray as we continue, Lord, in this study of the flesh, that, Lord, you will break down certain words that you use that attach to this flesh. And that, Lord, that we would understand how our rage is sin and how it attaches to the flesh and what it is saying when our flesh goes into a rage. Father, we pray that, Father, even the lasciviousness as we look at how John the Baptist lost his head over somebody dancing, that we will see what took place with the flesh of Herod and the strong desire that he had that he would even kill a man. Father, we pray that you would teach us how dangerous this flesh can be if it is not bought.